Welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, psychics, aliens, religion, new age stuff, awakening, ascension, star seeds, channeling, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, and other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. I'd love to give you an invitation to my newest program, The Inpath, an empath's course towards turning inward. My online coaching program is designed to help you heal your wounds, deepen your intuition, overcome your fears, understand your sensitivities, and connect you to the universe. It starts September 6th, Sundays at 10 a.m. CST. It's a three-month program, three weeks each month, with three one-on-one private energy coaching sessions via Zoom. A Facebook community group will be where we have our weekly resources and practices to implement and deepen your learning. For more info, go to thelovelyaliyah.com course. And don't forget to sign up to be a Patreon to get exclusive access to my solo episodes every Thursday and behind the scenes goodies and extras to come. Go to patreon.com slash to sign up. Christine Hassler is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, master coach, and a podcast host who's committed to guiding people and organizations into their highest potential. She left her successful job at 25 as a Hollywood agent to pursue a life she could be passionate about. And in 2005, she wrote her first book, 20-something, 20-everything, and then her second book, The 20-something Manifesto in 2008. Her latest best-selling book, Expectation Hangover, Free Yourself from Your Past, Change Your Present, Get What You Really Want, is the guidebook for how to treat disappointment on emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual levels. Today, she supports individuals in answering the questions, who am I, what do I want, and how do I get it? Christine is a master coach who combines life coaching with the principles of spiritual psychology. She's passionate about supporting people and figuring out their suffering and limitation and into fulfillment. Her superpowers of intuition and compassion help people break through challenges that at one time seem insurmountable. Bottom line is she helps people get over it and on with it with love. She has courses and retreats not only for one's self-development, but how to heal your heart, get on with love, and even amplify one's love with a partner. Today we talk about sacred union, so please welcome Christine to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and today I am bringing you, I'm so excited, Christine Hassler, just the most amazing podcast host. She has all kinds of information that she brings to the world and such a loving heart. How you doing, girl? Oh, I'm happy to be here with you. Good. I'm so excited because today we are talking about sacred union. <laughs> My favorite subject. <laughs> soulmates, unions, however you want to put it, essentially like that person that you're destined and meant for. And so before we get into your story and the juiciness Mm. of the journey that you've traveled through, can you tell my guests just a little bit about yourself and what got you to this point in your journey career-wise? Oh gosh, I'll I'll make it brief because it's a long (laughs) story. Um, So we'll just back up to childhood just for a moment. And I was um, a very, like you, empathic, highly sensitive kid that was misunderstood. It's hard to meet the needs of empathic kids if you don't really get it. 
Um, and so I was bullied, teased, um, which really upset me. I, um, had other things kind of going on in the background that no one really knew about was put on antidepressants when I was 11. And so at a very young age, decided that I was unlikable and that something was wrong with me mm. because, you know, to be told that you need to take Prozac at 11 is kind of, you, you, you kind of think something's wrong with you when you're seeing psychiatrists yeah. and I'm um, taking ink block tests and all those things that you see in movies. And what that did is, you know, whenever we feel less than we have to find a way to feel more than the ego, it's the ego survival strategy. So my way to feel like I could compensate my compensatory strategy, as I like to call them was to overachieve. So thought, well, if I'm broken, if I'm a depressed person, if I have this mental illness, I'm just going to be smart. Like that's going to be my thing. So I pushed and pushed and pushed, became incredibly hard on myself. That's how I drove myself forward and ended up moving after college, moving to LA because, you know, that's where insecure people go that want to be somebody <laughs> is you go to Hollywood. So went to Hollywood and was an agent, worked my way up. It was that overachiever again, youngest female agent, definitely in the company. I almost think ever, like I was 24, 25 when I got promoted and had, was dating the head of a movie studio, like started checking off all the things that I thought really would have made me feel happy. The boyfriend, the job, the money, the blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I still was on antidepressants at that time. I was on anti-anxiety meds as well. And it seemed like no matter what I did, no matter what I achieved, nothing was ever enough. Meanwhile, I just was getting sicker and sicker. But I, I faked it really well. No one would ever know from the outside because I, I perfected the perfectionist mask. And at 26, I had a panic attack riding up in the elevator to work. Went back downstairs. My first ever anxiety panic attack. They're terrifying. Yeah. Um, you literally think you're dying, mm-hmm. which makes it worse. Yeah. Um, and knew I had to leave my career because I hated it. Like I hated it. I didn't like any part of it. I didn't like selling. I didn't like the fact that people got jobs based on whose uncle was who, who owed who was a favor, who was sleeping with who, so on and so forth. And but that was my whole identity. That's what I worked so hard to to do. And, and I was somebody that defined myself by what I achieved. I didn't really know who I was independent of that. So ended up leaving and I thought I was going to go, I was really into health and fitness and thought I was going to go be some famous, you know, personal trainer, fitness guru. And this is before the days of Instagram when you could (laughs) actually do that. (laughs) And, um, then it all was just a perfect storm. I went into debt because my big six-figure job went away and I, I didn't know what I was doing, um, was diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. No one knew what was wrong with me. Got dis- was estranged from my parents. I made a choice that really upset my mom about moving in with a boyfriend and she, like we didn't speak, which was really hard because we had a very close upon reflection, a mesh codependent relationship. We've healed it now, but that break at the time was actually something we needed. Um, And then I was engaged and my wedding was six or seven months out and my fiance broke up with me in a premarital counseling session while I was eating a turkey sandwich. He just laid it out that he didn't want to be with me, that he loved me, but he wasn't in love with me and he didn't want to marry me. And it was best that we didn't see each other ever again. Then he walked out of the counselor's office. I've never eaten a turkey sandwich again. Oh my God. Um, so there it was sort of, I lost the career, the family, the money, 
the guy and health, like everything kind of came crashing down. And I know people listening have been through far worse. Um, for me at the time, that was a pretty big rock bottom, especially for someone who was such a planner and such a doer and such an achiever. I felt like a big failure and I had a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. And I was on my bathroom floor one night because that's what we ladies do when we're down in the dumps. We go to our disgusting bathroom floor like a character in a movie. (laughs) And I was laying there crying, feeling sorry for myself. And I had the thought, and it wasn't like an awakening or anything. It was just a thought like, well, I'm the common denominator in all this. Mm. So I can blame myself or maybe I can do something about it. And Natalia is what got me really into personal development. I had kind of been seeing a coach, but I didn't like everything she was telling me. Things like, you don't need to be on antidepressants. You need to stop drinking alcohol. You need to like look at your anger at your parents. Things I just wasn't ready to hear. Mm. And I crawled back to her and said, okay, I'm ready. And just started consuming. You know, Power of Now was my first personal development book. Just started consuming everything. And then, you know, cut to a year and a half later, I wrote a book called 20 Something, 20 Everything about women and their quarter life crisis. And, and then that just started everything. I I was researching people for the book and they wanted me to coach them. And I said, I'm not a coach. And they said, you should be. And it just kind of, actually they said counselor because coach back in 2005, wasn't really, really (laughs) yeah. Um, so 15 years later, you know, I've been coaching that long and teach retreats all over the world. It was in the corporate speaking world. So go to corporations and speak or speak at other people's events, have a podcast, you know, the things. Doing the big things. <laughs> yeah. And, and I have evolved being a coach. I have a master's degree in spiritual psychology and another one in consciousness, health and healing. Because I saw with coaching, it kept me very much in my head and very much in the future and goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted a deeper approach. And that's when I really got a more of my spiritual path, came off antidepressants. It took me two years from like 29 to 31 um, and never, never look back. So my, I've been my own best client. That's for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that because it's, it is such a, when, when we're coming from that place of like, we're not lovable or there's something wrong with us, that achievement thing, girl, to preaching to the choir, that was me all over it. Just one thing after yeah. another thing, after another thing, after another thing. So, um, I wrote a book called, uh, me, myself and why, why finding your other half is impossible before finding yourself. And in that process, it was again, still another achievement that I was racking up post my divorce and post like feeling like, okay, I'd done all this dating in New York and I was trying to go, I'm still trying to find something that would validate the value of myself, but without giving it to myself, I was looking for men to give me that validation. And so I wrote this book, I channeled it uh, as a means to, to, it was like you said, I'm my best coach. Like from my higher self, she was talking to me and saying, bitch, get it together. Like <laughs> you got, you don't have time to be wasting on these guys and this guy and that guy. Um, you really need to find some, some depth of love for yourself. So I know that that's a common thing that people say when talking about finding their soulmate and stuff. You got to love yourself first before you find the person you love. And I don't necessarily agree with that because it does have a lot of narrative that you have to still earn being good enough. Yeah. And so there, there is that element to that, but there, there is some, at least some type of foundation that you get to a place where you love yourself enough that you vibrate at a frequency to call somebody in, which leads me to my first question. Um, before we get into your, your love story, um, Mm -hmm. let's talk about your past relationships. You said that you were a common denominator in Mm -hmm. a lot of the patterns that you were seeing plant kind of play out in your life. What were some of those patterns that you saw that may have prevented you from 
like not only getting your own foundation, but also calling in a soulmate? Well, it was patterns and unresolved wounding. So unresolved wounding from my mother and father. We tend to date our parents. <laughs> and then we try to get what we didn't get from mom or dad or a combination of both through someone that's very much like them. Like, oh, let me like date this codependent guy because maybe that, that's like mom. That feels pretty good. Let me date this unemotionally unavailable guy because that's like dad. Awesome. So that was a big part of it. Um, also just this pattern of like feeling I needed to be on a timeline mm-hmm. and that pressure and that overachieving and thinking more about needing to check the box of relationship because I was approaching 30 or whatever guideline I gave myself versus really feeling into what I really wanted. And also a pattern of being what he needed me to be. Mm. Like being that, because that was a strategy I learned very young, especially as an empath, because it's like, all right, well, I can either feel everything and feel into everybody or a sort of a, a protective mechanism because when you don't have skills as an empath, you end up getting really tired and it's really hard to feel everything. So I would sort of skirt out of that and just be like, well, let me just focus on, let me shut this down and focus on becoming whatever I need to be to get the date, to get the guy, to get so-and-so. So that was a big pattern too, contorting myself into what I, what I thought they wanted me to be versus actually being myself. But quite honestly, I didn't know who I was. And I think that that's one of, you know, I, from 19 till, till my divorce at 31, I, I was always in relationship, like always, maybe a couple months in between dudes, but always in relationship. And a big part of that was that enmeshment and codependence that I had with mom. I didn't know myself independently. Like it felt most familiar to be with somebody. And having that like anxious attachment style, the being on my own, even though I'm an introvert, even though I love my alone time, and even though in relationships, all I wanted was alone time, (laughs) but that, that unresolved wounding around that codependence made me go from relationship to relationship to relationship. And it wasn't until after my divorce that I spent, you know, a lot of time single that I really found out and discovered who I was. And that's a big reason I'm in the healthy marriage that I am now is because I broke that pattern of being what they needed me to be and just getting into relationship because I was too uncomfortable, not in one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, what do you think that in this, what did, what did your, your marriage, your last marriage teach Mm -hmm. you most about that? Because that seems to be the catalyst that might've started that path for you to say, okay, like done with this pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, my last marriage taught me so many things. And my ex-husband is a really, really good man. Um, I was lucky not to have a nasty divorce. You know, I was lucky to also not have kids mm-hmm. that we had to think about. It was still really, really hard. It was almost, it was, I, there were moments where I was like, I wish he'd, he'd cheat on me or have a heroin problem all of a sudden because it would make it so much easier. <laughs> Um, you know, and I initiated and then I got scared and went back and then he initiated and then he got scared and came back. And then we both decided, you know, it was not good to be together, but there were a lot of things that, so one pattern that I didn't mention that came up a lot in my marriage was criticizing and judging the other. 
So that hyper critical, high expectations of myself, I would project onto the other and I would get nitpicky. I'd constantly disappointed, constantly be disappointed. And instead of really working on me and owning my shit, it was always like, you need to do this. If only you do this, then everything would be better. And so that was a massive pattern I had to break. And then also just, you know, one of the things that I've had to really watch in myself is let thing, let, like letting things build. Instead of using my voice and speaking my truth and speaking needs, I often would just let things build and they'd build and build and build and build until I'd snap and he wouldn't even see it coming. And yeah. it would be, it's a completely unfair to thing to do to a relationship for yourself and the other person. Mm-hmm. But I was so scared of speaking my truth because a lot of the, you know, bullying and wounding from childhood of like, it's just safer just to, to keep it inside. So I would internalize a lot rather than say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. And, you know, when we internalize what ends up doing is we're just become a volcano. So then when we finally do, it's usually really messy and really bitchy and really accusatory. Mm -hmm. And the other person feels like they're attacked. So of course they're going to get defensive and they're not going to really listen. Um, and you know, the, the, another big thing was I was too much of my masculine. Like mm-hmm. I, at my core essence, we all have masculine and feminine inside of us at my core essence, I'm feminine. Like that's my core essence. If we remove all the masks and all the wounding and strip down to like my core essence, I have a feminine essence. I have my masculine size, of course, that aspect, but that's who I am deep down. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean that. But for me, that's true for me. Mm-hmm. And But my masculine way had become an adaptive way. It had become the way I knew how to survive. It had become the way I knew how to get things done. Mm-hmm. It became the way I knew how to be like seen in the world. And so, you know, my ex was a masculine dude. So that threw off the polarity a lot, yeah. you know, that I was trying to control and I was trying to lead and I was too much in my masculine And one, it made us more platonic. Mm -hmm. And two, it really didn't inspire him to step up into his masculinity. Um, So those are just a few things. There are many lessons, but those are just a few. (laughs) Those are are huge ones. Those are things that I I ran into with my marriage as well, because there was so much, I mean, when you don't have necessarily a very strong emotional connection to your father when you're younger, in a means of safety, you animate your own masculine. And especially for a lot of women who grew up with fathers from that generation, they weren't as much involved in their, in their feminine sides and and even in their masculine. So there would be this kind of like neglect or lack of presence there. So we would then look for men who are emotionally unavailable and then people would label us daddy issues, which always made me mad because I was like, that wasn't our fault. Like, don't shame me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so there, there is that idea of like, there's these, there are all these women out here running after the relationship and trying to make someone do something or be a certain way instead of like being able to pull back into their feminine to attract, like that's our strongest, yeah. but the feminine is so strong and we keep like, you know, we live in this world that is now shifting, but in yeah. this world where, um, you know, that the masculine patriarchy, that kind of thing was always more highly valued. So we felt we needed to be men in order to to survive in this world career-wise or, or whatnot in order to get the equal share of the pie and thus throw the polarity off with the attraction yeah. of trying to bring in a very masculine man. So then we often end up attracting very passive 
Mm-hmm. who don't do what they need to do or, or don't keep up. We feel like we have to nag them. Every goddamn 90s sitcom is that relationship. Totally. Right? Super nagging. Wife, it's like naggy, naggy, naggy. Yeah. And the, the big pot, beer belly dude who's like, oh, right. you no know, one watch sports and you drink beer. And I'm like, right. lucky. Like, shake I up. know. Well, <laughs> and that, that's the thing. We, we did become this masculine, but then we obsessed about looking feminine. Then there's the expectations of having this kind of body or this kind of look. And that became the definition of what makes you a woman. Yes. And it's like, okay, like we're going to act like a man, but you need to look like a woman. Right. And it's so confusing. And I think that's why so many women got you know eating disorders, surgery, yep. body issues, surgery, plastic surgery, Botox, the whole thing came up because we were so disconnected. Yeah. yeah. We were so disconnected from our feminine that we all we had was okay well let me like make myself look a certain way when you know i think the sexiest women in the world are the ones that are just radiant that are in their feminine and in their juiciness and like express it and i get that from you so much like you're just in you're feminine and it's just it's alluring and it's radiant and it's inviting and it's not showy you know it's not like let me throw on this mask and i have nothing against you want to go get eyelash extensions and do all the things great like that's awesome, but do it because you enjoy it, mm-hmm. not because you're trying to look the way you think you need to look to be loved. Yes, girl, preach. Woo! And I appreciate that compliment because I'm working mm-hmm. so hard on my feminine, like so, it's, so, so hard. It shows. <laughs> Thank you. Shows. Um, I've been the masculine pusher, doer, you know, like make everything happen. And it's only been maybe in the last year that I've been like, okay, I understand what surrender looks like. And I understand what being in the feminine has done and how much more powerful and less tiring it is for my own essence, because I am able to just draw things in. Like a queen doesn't run around trying to push, move things and, and, you know, do an order. She sits and she waits, like, bring this to me. (laughs) I'm going to sit on my crown, you know, like crown my throne. And, and draw things in towards me. Yeah. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about this crazy love story that you have that I think everybody's just going to like freak out over. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to hear it. Start from the beginning, please. Oh, okay. Well, if, so just to review, <laughs> I've been engaged once and dumped, married again, and divorced. Okay. So we've got two engagements, one divorce under my belt. I pretty much checked every relationship category box except for widowed. Um, Let's hope you don't check that one. No, I'm not going to. I've told my husband, like, I have to die before him. Like, I can't handle him dying. Like, he just has to promise. And I'm older, so hopefully that will happen. Um, I'm sure he's thrilled about that. (laughs) He's stronger than me. He'll get over it better than I will. I'll I'll fall apart. Um, So cut to you know, it's my late thirties and, um, I've frozen my eggs. I've like dated and dated and dated. I've done every dating tip and this and that. And I'm just like, all right. So this was fun in the beginning. Like when I first got divorced and I had three to four years, I didn't want a relationship. I was building my career. I was really loving it. And then around 35, when I froze my eggs alone and I'm shooting, injecting myself every night, I'm like, mm really would like somebody, you know? However, I did not want to settle. Like I really did not want to settle. And, and the thing that I did not want to settle on, two main things were has to be growth oriented, has to like be seeking consciousness, evolving his soul, spirituality. Like I have to be able to talk about 
past lives and chakras and inner child wounding and all that shit with him. And he has to like, not just entertain it. Yeah. He like actually has to be interested in it and has done his own work and gone into his own. Cause that was the thing with my ex. That was what led to the divorce is yeah. he just wasn't into it. He just wasn't into it. And I kept pushing and dragging and you can't get somebody, you can't wake it, walk into a nursery and wake up sleeping babies. You know, people wake right. up when they're ready to wake up. So that was huge. And then the other one is I wanted to be attracted to him. Like I really wanted to have that attraction and just be like, oh, I don't want to have to talk myself into somebody yeah. because I'd go on these dates and the guy would be really nice and he could talk about the stuff with me and he could be spiritual, but I just didn't want to jump him. Like I didn't, like there was nothing that, and I tried and it was just like, oh, or it was a super hot guy, emotionally unavailable that it was like that fireworks run the other direction kind of chemistry. And then he ghost me or I didn't know where I stood or it was never like really anything. So I was living in LA, which is not the best place to date if you're a woman. And um, at least it wasn't for me. I don't want to like plant that seed, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. And I decided to move to San Diego and I moved down to San Diego and I found my queen's castle. It was like, this beautiful little home right on the cliff on the ocean and had stairs down to the beach from my backyard. And it was like perfect. And I got all new furniture for it. And I was like, I am grown up. I'm calling in my king. And I'd like sit and look at the ocean, you know, the Pacific ocean and just call him in. And, and I was so happy. And I, I said, I'm not leaving until I, you know, find my guy. This is my place. And so I go to renew my lease and the landlord basically says, I'm a taker. I let homeless people come and sleep in my house. I don't respect anything or anyone. I'm an evil person. Like just goes off on me. She was bipolar alcoholic. I came to found out later, but at the moment it was very traumatizing for me. And I was like, so there I am. I had just moved. I just left my whole, I lived in LA for 20 years, just left my whole community and I'm kicked out. And the ego in me is freaking out but the intuitive part is like, this is so crazy. This is such a massive expectation hangover. Something's going on mm -hmm. and you've got to just surrender, you know? Cause I've learned over time. I mean, I wrote a book called expectation hangover, which is all about things not going according to plan or life throwing you curveballs. And I've learned both from my own experience and working with so many people that when it's that much of a curveball, you got to just kind of go, okay, like mm -hmm. something's happening and I don't know what. Yeah. So I um, put all my stuff in storage, which I didn't want to be a digital nomad. Like that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted a home, but I put all my stuff in storage and I got on a plane and I flew to Australia. I didn't know what the hell I was doing there. End up texting an old dude that I had met in Australia a year and a half ago and end up having this awesome love affair with him. But it was the super hot, emotionally unavailable kind. <laughs> So, but I fell for it one more time. Just had to get like one last notch in my belt. And I leave Australia. I come back to California, but I still like, I'm kind of curious about Australia. So in April, I go back to Australia. He basically does the, I'm just not that into you speech. Um, of course, after having sex with me, then I get of that. Course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I, uh, but again, I take responsibility for it too. Cause deep down, like I knew, I knew it was up. I just didn't want to admit it to myself. I thought, I, I thought, no, no, like my, I can, I can change him. Like he can come around. Like I'm different. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. When a dude is ready, he's ready. When he's not, he's not. doesn't matter how freaking amazing you are. Yeah. Don't ever try to get and be ready when they're not. Yep. yep. Um, so I was there and I fracture my second metatarsal in my right foot. So, okay, let's look at that second, which is all about relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And it's my right foot. And I asked my body, okay, what's going on? And my body says, you keep walking towards things that are a dead end. You know, it's like I kept stubbing my toe. Like I kept walking towards things and it was my right side, my masculine side. And I was like, okay, like I'm really done. Like I'm, I'm done with this. Fly back. I'm in a dungy sublet trying to figure out where I want to live. But I've made this commitment. And I wrote down a list of everything I wanted in a man. And I went out to the beach and I tore it up in a million pieces, threw it in the trash. And I said to God, God, I surrender completely, completely. I won't even hang on to the two things I want. I surrender completely. You pick. Clearly, I'm not doing my job. So you pick because I'm, I'm failing here. And so, I, Aaliyah, I really let go, like fully. Because I think there's times we think we let go, mm-hmm. but we just hang on. It's like that, yeah, but God, I trust you, but I just but. make sure, did you hear this one thing? Like, did you get that? <laughs> And it's like, do we really trust God or the universe, divine source, whatever word you want to use, they're interchangeable to me, if we're still clinging to that one little piece that we're attached to? Yeah. So two weeks later, my friend calls me. Sorry, the story is long. I'll try to speed it up. <laughs> my friend calls me and she says, we're moving out of our, apart- our, our home in San Diego. And in San Diego, homes go really quick on the rental market, especially nice ones. So we, she's like, come over, have a look. Maybe you can take over it. So I go and have a look. House is great. I think I'm going to get it. Her husband's working on his computer when we're having dinner. Mm. I see this man's picture on his computer screen because they were working on a startup and he was telling me about it. And I see this man's picture and I said, who is that? I know him. And they said, his name is Stefano Safandos. He lives in Perth, Australia. I don't think you knew him because I was in Australia, but on the other coast. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't know him. And my friend Renee said, Christine, like, He's actually really cool. Spiritually, he's conscious. Do you, want to, do you want us to introduce you? And I was like, oh God, you know, I'm sick of these spiritual conscious dudes that, you know, have women on rotation and it's all about the love and they don't want to commit. And, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she goes, I don't know. I think you might be different. And I go, look, I'm open to an introduction. However, ask him like point blank. Don't beat around the bush. Use direct language. Is he ready for a commitment? Like, is he calling in his queen, committed, monogamous, sacred union relationship? Is he there in his life? Because if he's not, I'm not interested in another like virtual friend. Don't need a pen pal. Thank you. So she asked him and he said yes. And he messaged me and said, I'd love to set up a time to chat. And the moment I heard his voice, it was similar to how I felt when I saw his picture. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is different. Mm -hmm. It's different. So we had two months over WhatsApp. We actually were going to both be in Europe in the summer. So we knew we'd meet in July. This is May. And we talked every day on WhatsApp. He would ask me five questions a day. I'd answer the questions. He'd answer his own questions and we'd flip it. And I was falling in love with this guy having never met him. And it was actually so good not to have the physical because, you know, with the physical for me, because I had insecurities about that. Like I think a lot of women think, well, am I attractive? Am I actually good at sex? Am I desirable? When do I sleep with them? Is it too soon? You know, yeah. we, we just kind of there's you know, get involved. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot that we do to our head. Mm-hmm. And without that, without any pressure, 
I really was able to open up and really be clear. And, and because I had made that promise, no more settling and I'm done and I surrender, I asked what I needed to ask and I said what I needed to say. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not farting around anymore. <laughs> like, I'm just going to be me. <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, we were supposed to meet in Estonia, but I had agreed to go on a couple's trip in Mykonos, Greece beforehand with four other couples because I decided as a single person, I'm not going to hang out with single people. I want to hang out in the vibration that I want to call in. And I invited him to come a week early and be my date on this couple's trip in Mykonos, Greece. He's half Greek, half Italian, fluent in Greece, Greek. He said yes. And so two and a half months after we were WhatsApping, he showed up at my hotel room door, opened the door, hugged me, kissed me. And that was it. I was home. We moved in together that day. You moved in together that day. Yeah. We, he basically, he's like, do you want me to get a separate room? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. And we ended up getting a bigger room and that was it. We traveled around Europe for a month. He came back to the States with me. We had to go through the whole immigration thing. And, you know, we were super fast. Um, but, you know, we'd both done so much work and it was one of those, you know, divinely appointed, not our first rodeo, like this is your person home feeling. It was unlike any feeling I've ever had with anyone where there was like massive fireworks or I was trying to talk myself into it. Mm-hmm. You know, either one of those, this was neither. It was, I'm home. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm me. This is like, I'm done. And there was never any question. I never, you know, sent a text that he sent to a friend and said, how do I respond? Or wondered if he was going to call me or unclear about if we were committed or not, or afraid to ask him if he had any STDs or, you know, just the <laughs> normal stuff that yeah. comes up. Like none of that, none of that was there. It was just like, oh, and we did, you know, after three months of being together phys- in physical presence, um, we did, our love bubble did work burst and we had a lot of stuff come up and our fourth month was really hard, but we, since we're both committed to the work, we worked through it and got to the other side and worked out a lot of kinks and found our rhythm and have never had like a low like that again. So I don't want to like paint the picture that when you meet your person, it's all like rainbows and unicorns, especially in a consciousness, conscious relationship, yeah. because your soul is going to use that relationship to grow you faster. Mm-hmm. And I think in conscious relationships, sacred union relationships, the stuff comes up sooner because oh, yeah. it doesn't let you get into the glaze, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I was going to ask because like a lot of times when we, and I've heard a lot of some, you know, clients and then other people who respond to the show about um, soulmate relationships. And they kind of ask like, um, for you, how did that, even that first meeting, like, cause we talk a lot about energy on the show. So like that differentiation between the fireworks and the butterflies versus the home feeling, mm-hmm. like, how did you distinguish the difference between it? Like you spoke to it a little bit, but like, yep. I need to get it in the body. Like, how did it feel in the body? You said the key thing I was in my body. Mm. So I think a lot of times in past relationships where there was energy, where my head might've been into it, but my body was like, Ooh, don't really feel safe. Triggers here. There was almost a dissociation where Mm. I was maybe in my head thinking about it, but I wasn't really in my body. So what felt different with this is I was very present. I was very in my body. I felt, I didn't feel the nervousness. You know, a lot of times with me, when energy's off, I feel a little anxiety. Mm-hmm. I feel a little nervousness. I also felt like he was so grounded and I could feel energetically that he had done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. 
And I think oftentimes with men, when they hadn't done a lot of work, I'd feel their stuff. Yeah. The empath would come in and I'd feel their stuff. And like with him, I'm like, oh, wow, he's like a tree. Like he is rooted and grounded and like has navigated his shadow and it's not bouncing all over me because, you know, for me, a lot of times, like people energetically will sort of like plug into me. Yep. And that happened with a lot of guys too. And I think a lot of times why they were attracted to me and also why they went away. Like, Ooh, you could help me with my stuff. I don't have to work. But then when they get too close, they're like, Ooh, I've got to look at my stuff. Never mind. Yep. Never Mm -hmm. mind. Going to go back to my rotation over here. Yeah. So energetically, it just felt so, um, it felt so much cleaner and so much grounded. It's so much more grounded and so much more like, you know, I, I wasn't holding more. Right. That makes sense. Yes, it does. So for people who are listening, uh, who may be single or maybe in relationships that they don't feel are um, soulmate material. <laughs> um, can someone manifest their partner or is that something that's already destined? And what does one do to draw a person? And you already spoke about surrender, which I think is a huge mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who are listening, if they're needing some tactical tips on how to, how yeah. to look at that, like, what is that? Is there someone that's just already destined and it's like, it's going to come or do they have mm-hmm. to really have to do some type of manifestation? I think it's both. I think it's both. Um, and I think that, you know, my ex-fiance, my ex-husband, every guy I've dated has been a soulmate, like especially the significant ones that have hurt or I've hurt or whatever, because all those people have taught me, you know, amazing, incredible lessons. So I definitely think that there are different kinds of soulmates. That sacred union soulmate, um, you know, I'd like to think that that's one of the reasons we come in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the reasons we come in is that we've agreed to sacred union. And I believe that it's, it's a, it's a longing that not everybody has, Lee. I'm sure a lot, most of your listeners will, because they vibe with you, like they're mm-hmm. deep, deeper, more evolved people, not in a better than way, but it's just priorities and what we yeah. value in life. And I think that those of us that have a soul agreement to experience sacred union, it's a different kind of longing. Mm-hmm. It's a heart and soul. It's a spiritual longing. It's. Yeah. Yeah, wanting someone to take to weddings and to celebrate the holidays with and maybe have kids or whatever with, but it's a longing to grow with someone. Mm-hmm. It's a longing to get closer to God with someone. And it's a different kind of longing. So if you feel that, trust that, you know, really trust that. And if you feel that longing, then know that it's out there. Mm-hmm. The timing of it just, you know, I, I was ready long before Steph came along, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, he, you know, and that's another thing everybody told me, oh my gosh, you're never going to find a man your age because a man your age is going to want someone super young and then, and then you're never going to find a guy who's spiritual and masculine. I mean, just all the stuff that we hear that's just, yeah. and he's definitely masculine and spiritual and he's five years younger than me. So to anybody who's taken a lot of crappy advice and <laughs> statements from people, I just want to say like, you get to have what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's one like having the longing without the suffering. Mm-hmm. That was key for me. So allow myself to long because the longing is what sends out the signal. Yeah. The longing is what draws that person to you because they're feeling it too, but without the suffering. So I would practice connecting to him, 
feeling mm-hmm. him, writing letters, talking to him, using my body pillow like at night to curl up and <laughs> it, it feel him. And so I would, I would feed that longing because I believe our longing is our psychic knowing of what's to come. Like it Girl. truly Preach. Like, okay, this is so important because we often try to turn off our desires because yes. it, it hurts us in some kind of way. That hope yes. deferred is always what breaks our heart so hard when we're waiting for something and we can't, we can't see when it's going to come. But lately I've been saying a lot, like, it's like when you get on a plane, you know, the destination that you're headed towards and say that flight is like 10 hours long. You don't get on that flight three hours in and like, we're never going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it's, it's just, you're in the time zone. And then I would have a lot of people tell me like, um, Aliyah, you just got to do this or you just got to do that or you're not ready. And I was like, listen, ho, like (laughs) I've, I've done so much work inside of myself. I know I'm ready. Like I know I'm ready. Maybe he's not ready. Exactly. And we we have this connection, this soul contract that we've already decided to come in and he's the one I'm waiting on. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that too. Cause people will love, you know, it's like the, why are you still single? I'd get that look, that question. Why are you still single? And people would look at me trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with me. And, and then I tell them, you know, they say, what kind of man are you looking for? And I describe the man and they'd be like, Ooh, that's a lot. Your expectations are high. I'd say, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not like, I, I'm not, it's not like I'm over here sitting on my couch eating bonbons waiting for like mm-hmm. Mr. Perfect to walk in. Like mm-hmm. I am working my shit out. Like I'm yeah. doing it. And I think that's part of how we call it in, mm-hmm. you know, that in terms of the tactical things, it was doing the inner child work. Mm-hmm. It was doing the somatic work. It was healing things around my, my sexuality and that, that feminine wounding and, um, mom stuff and dad stuff and ex stuff and really just kind of purging that because I didn't want to attract anymore from my unresolved issues. You know, I wanted to attract from where I was going, not where I've been. Yeah. And I think that's the, one of the defining characteristics of a sacred union relationship is that you're attracted because you are looking at where you're going together. You're not attracted because of where you've been to work all that out. Now, does past stuff come up in our relationship? Yeah, sometimes my wounding will come up, sometimes his wounding will come up, but we're able to move through it quickly because instead of blaming each other, we're able to go, all right, what's being triggered? What are we learning? What do we need to do to, to heal this inside ourselves individually and in the relationship? And so we'll move forward. And every time we have an argument or a disagreement, it's like there's a learning. There's a learning and we break it down and we make the commitments moving forward. And we don't have the same arguments a lot. And so it like, it brings us closer and moves us forward. So that was a big part for me was just be willing to do the inner work, not from, I need to fix all these things so I can get a man because we never want that come from, but from, I am here for soul evolution. Like Mm -hmm. I am here to be more in love and less in fear every day. I'm here to give that inner child what she didn't get as a child. Like I'm, I'm really here for love and I'm here not to spend the rest of my life working on my shit. I'm here to really create, you know, be a contribution to the planet. And so it was, it was a strong commitment to the inner work that I think was what manifested this relationship. I love what you said. And it's ringing in my ears. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, it's sticking in my heart because it's like, wow, shit. Yes. Like 
that aspect of everything that we've worked on or worked towards. And like, I, I've gotten the same look, like, Aliyah, I don't understand why you're single. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, I just, I haven't met my person yet. It doesn't mean yeah. anything wrong with me. Um, I had someone come in recently that was like, Aliyah, you're not ready and you're this and t- telling me all the reasons why he thought I wasn't ready yet. And I was like, I mean, one, you don't know me like that, but yeah. two, <laughs> I love him. He's a good, good dude. But, um, there was this aspect, it was more of like a test from the universe saying, are you still going to listen to people externally about yeah. what it is that you want or need, or are you going to listen to that inner voice? Like the intuition that's been telling you he's close, he's coming, he's, he's almost there. And like that outer chowder, chatter that always tells us that we can't have what we want like that our expectations are too high or that, you know, like there's, um, one of my friends told me one time and I loved it because she was like, if you, if it's your desire, it was put there for a reason. Like obviously we have to check a lot of our desires to see if we're looking for validation or something that's coming out of a wounded place. But the depth of our desires are usually coming from something because we long for that. There's some, some internet connection that connects us to the side of that thing that we were meant for. So I'm glad that you, you listened to that. Um, so what kind of expectations did you have about like that particular soul sacred union partner that you were drawing in versus what it actually was like? So (laughs) a lot of it was really, a lot of the expectations were met, like that ability to feel safe, that ability to work through things, the ability to have like the intimate conversations that feed my soul, you know, like the conversations about the deep stuff and also the conversations about like dreams and vision. Like you had just such a range of conversations. Um, you know, what was hard for us and he speaks about this publicly as well is when we met, I was in a financial place way different than him, like way different. And we, we, when we broke down the finances and he was honest with me about where he was at, I was almost like, shit, is this a deal breaker for me? Like, ooh, because that was, you know, not on that list that I had. Mm-hmm. One of the things was that list that I surrendered. Mm-hmm. One of the things was makes as much money or more than me. Because in my head, I believe that that's how it should be between men and women. Limiting belief again. And um, so that was one that was tough to wrestle with because of my, um, like the, the way I saw my parents' dynamic and just the way I had it in my head. And what was so amazing, and this is how sacred union works, because even though I had concerns about it and it was really stressful and he moved here, so I was financially carrying us for a while. And I was like, well, Jesus, like, ugh, I have to make sure he has friends and like get him a social security card. And you know, like, I just felt all this <laughs> pressure. And like, how am I going to be in my feminine? If da, 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 da. And um, one of some of his wounding from childhood is that he never felt enough. Like he never felt like anyone really got him, really saw him. He just never felt enough. And in one of my meditations, I, when I was like working with the divine feminine, I heard be his muse, like be his muse, be a safe container for him. Don't coach him because we do similar things. So it would have been very easy for me to go in and be like, this is what you do. Do this, do this, do this. I know how to build a successful career this way and like get in my masculine. And all I heard was be his muse, love him. He'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing, Aaliyah, to see what he did in a year. 
Mm -hmm. like what he was able to generate, what he stepped into, what he built. And he always acknowledges me for that. And he's like, Christine, you know, by just you loving me, not judging me, not coaching me, not correcting me, you just inspired me so much. And I finally felt loved enough and seen enough to step into my power. Mm. So sometimes these things that come up in the beginning of a sacred union relationship feel really scary. And they feel like, oh, is this a deal breaker? Like, can I deal with this? This is tough. This isn't my ideal scene. But I feel if we, if both people are really committed to navigating through it, it wasn't like if he had said to me, you know, I'm just going to like ride the screenplay and you have enough for us. You know, if, if that was his, if he was not really, really trying, yeah. then it would have been a different story. Yeah. However, I really saw him trying and I just kept loving him and loving him and loving him. And that's what I feel like. I think sacred union, things that were problems in our life that we couldn't quite heal or get to or navigate on our own in a healthy, loving relationship, a lot of those things can shift and change. And, but I had to be totally okay with it not changing. Yeah. You know, I had to be totally okay with, all right, like I may make more the rest of our relationship and can I be okay with that? And because I was being met in so many other ways, yeah. like so many other ways, like for me, the career, it was good. I wasn't struggling there. Other areas in my life where I was struggling and I really just needed love, he met me like 110%. So I was like, you know what? This, I can handle this. This is not a big deal because so many other things are being met. And again, it's that surrender. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with men, when we back up, and we just love them, not in a submissive way, but tapping into the power of the feminine. I will be your muse. I will hold this loving space for you. I will inspire you to be a better man. They step up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Makes me want to cry. <laughs> a lot of parallels happening here. Um, very, very, I just think that's beautiful because a lot of times we think we have to do something. We always yeah. think we have to do something and that's where that whole nagging and like we have to get them and coach them and you know men can't figure mm -hmm. it out and it's like you know they just it's not like in that inspiration process that is the power of the feminine is that we are and we are the inspiration we are the beauty we are the drawing in we are the art we are the culture we are the home like all of those really beautiful things and when we're trying to push out of that masculine energy it's it's such a force and yeah, we can get shit done, but in a partnership, it, I think it mutes a lot of the polarity. Yeah, it does. Sexuality and the tension that builds that together. You said something when we were talking over the phone the other day um, about where, I think this was you, the, we're past the guru age and now we're into the age of the, the sacred union and that, that's the catalyst. Those are the teachers and how that, how, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. I just think for so long, well, it's been mostly dudes <laughs> that have been in this motivational, inspirational, personal development space. And um, I think people are over that singular point of view. And I think especially as, as you know, for consciousness to shift, inner child wounding is necessary. Like we need to work on our stuff. And conscious relationships to me representing that healthy masculine and healthy feminine, that mom and dad sort of archetype mm -hmm. is what I feel people are going to be craving. You know, my, my grad school, the University of Santa Monica, it's taught by a married, they're in their, probably their eighties now, late seventies, married couple. They're both um, psychologists and just spiritual teachers and so loving. And it was so healing to have them as my teachers because 
I'm doing my work and I'm learning and I'm processing because it was a very experiential process. And I had, you know, the masculine and feminine up there. And it wasn't just any man and woman. It was a man and woman in sacred union. Mm -hmm. And so the power of them individually was amplified by the relationship. And I think that that's what sacred union conscious relationships will do not just for, you know, as speakers and writers and workshop teachers, but as parents, as leaders, you know, as innovators, because we've got some massive, we're exposing massive issues right now with the old ways and the masculine paradigm and the systemic injustices that we're facing. And we need that balanced perspective. We need men and women coming together and doing our healing work together. Yes, women need to do our work with other women. Men need to do their work with other men. That's super important. However, this, this masculine, feminine, sacred union coming together, I think is presenting just an awesome healing container for, for both healing and for innovation. Yeah, I agree. Um, there are so many people out there who are kind of looking for their soulmate right now. Mm-hmm. And how does someone know if someone is a sacred union partner or mm-hmm. if it's someone toxic that needs to be let go? Because mm-hmm. sometimes we get in these relationships and it feels like, oh, it's perfect and it's beautiful and it's this and it's that. And you run into the snafu that you talked about. Mm-hmm. You run mm-hmm. into that thing and you are trying to figure out if it's, if it's something to cut someone loose over or if it's something to work through. And once mm-hmm. you get further deeper into the relationship, there could be some of those other things. So how does someone know whether or not this is, no, this is meant to be or it's mm-hmm. time to let it go? Well, I think you can feel it. Like, I definitely think that's when the body awareness and tapping into our body, and especially as women, our intuition is super important. I also think a big signal is like, what's the other person's reaction? You know, how I knew that it wasn't a deal breaker with Steph is he was acknowledging it was an issue. He didn't like it either. And he was willing to do his work to change it. Versus I think when you're in a toxic situation, you may get a lot of words and a lot of lip service, but words and behavior aren't matching. So you're seeing something, you're seeing an issue, you're willing to work on it, but the other person isn't. And that, that's a, a red flag for me. Mm-hmm. But if the, the person owns it and sees it and is willing to work on it and, and actually is working on it and is not just saying they're going to, then you're, that's more part of the sacred union agreement is, yeah, I come to you with my flaws. You love me even with them. And I don't expect you to excuse them. I expect you to love me through when I deal with my hurts and my flaws. And, you know, whenever people ask me questions similar to this, you know, I can only speak from my personal experience and just talking to friends that have had this kind of relationship. It's like, even though I was questioning and the mind might've had some doubt when we, when stuff first started to come up with Steph and I, deep down, deep down, I just didn't doubt it. Mm-hmm. And that was unlike any relationship I've had. I'm like, even though this is hard and even though the, my, my mind and my fear and my self-protective strategies may be questioning this, deep down, this feels different. Mm-hmm. It just feels different. Yeah. I love that. And I love that because <laughs> <laughs> the reason I decided to do... Um, not the reason why I decided because I wanted to do an episode with you anyway, but the reason why I chose this topic, guys, is because mm-hmm. I've met someone. <laughs> I'm so um, excited for you. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, guys, I know that you guys have been on this journey with me as a single woman and through all my tumultuous crap. 
Mm-hmm. Um, about a month ago, over a month ago, I met someone who I for sure manifested um, that is in my life. I will not name him yet. We're going to kind of keep things on the down low for a little mm-hmm. bit as we get settled into this relationship. But um, in February, I was in Bali and I went to Bali to go heal shit. Mm-hmm. And so I was in Bali and I was at a, um, I was getting a Reiki session done by Holly Sloof, by the way, she has a podcast episode. So look her up if you want a Reiki session. Um, so I did that with her and immediately following, she had kind of told me that in a past life I had had this upper echelon. Uh, I was this upper echelon woman that had to use my womanly guiles in order to kind of like get shit done with men, essentially. Like if I needed money or if I wanted to like get a political thing moved for women or something like that, like I wouldn't, it wasn't a prostitute, but um, I would kind of like, you know, dangle the carrot, if you will. So my karma in this life was that I always felt like men were just using me for sex mm-hmm. and always feeling like nobody's ever seeing me for who I am. Instead, they're mm-hmm. seeing how they can use me. So I had a dream. I fell asleep and I had this dream where, and this is so weird. And it's like, this is the first time I'm telling you guys this. So like, it's cool to, to finally tell it. Um, so I had this dream where um, me and my sister were sitting on the steps of a monument of some sort. And there were eight black men that were marching down below. Now, mind you, this was in February. So the timing is, is right in line with the Black Lives Matter and everything that's been going on. So there were eight black men walking, marching, and the guy in the front kind of like guided them to walk up the stairs. So they walked up the stairs. They first approached my sister. And she was like, I'm married. Y'all leave me alone. <laughs> and then they come over to me and the, the one who was in the front says, are you single? And I said, yes. And he says, would you join me inside? And so I'm kind of miffed, like, what do you guys want? Don't bother me, whatever. So we go inside and it's this beautiful, like French looking parlor, Victorian parlor, something like that, like a salon room or something. And he offers his hand and we start in this dance. Mind you, we're wearing like hoodies and Jordans and like whatever, you know? So we start in this like very pride and prejudice style type of dance where our hands are connected, but we're turning these circles or whatever. And it feels very sensual and erotic, but we're not touching, you know, that kind of thing. And then after the dance is complete and it's just us in there, he goes, would you join me in the back room? And so I join him in this back room. The room is all red, which is kind of weird anyway, but, um, and he sets me down on the settee and he has his arms back behind him, kind of like how Butler would, would walk. And on, on his, I don't remember if left or right. I don't know. Uh, one hand he extends and he's like, would you like to have sex? And I was like, see, I knew it. You're going to be another one of those guys who blah, 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 blah. And he said, I wasn't finished. And he extends his other hand. He says, or do you want your equal and capable partner? And by the way, like you guys have heard me say that that's like the language that I use for the person I was trying to call in. And I said, I want my equal and capable partner. And so he extends that hand and he says, then wait for me. And he pulls me up and brings me really close into almost a kiss. And my sister walks in in the dream and she goes, what are you guys doing? And above her, I see this giant spider and the spider is like, red or like a coral color and like a turquoise color and has glitter in the joints. Like it's not like an actual spider. Um, and I woke up and I was like, Whoa, this is weird. This is weird. This dream is weird. Um, I look up what a spider means and it was like, um, I was asked, you know, my guides, let, let Google find the first one that I see, whatever that one is. And so it said that you were at the peak of your manifestation, weaving together the life that you're wanting. So call it in. And so I was like, wow, this is crazy. So I sent my friend Holly, pictures of what the guy looked like. Like I was like, he kind of looks like this guy and kind of looks like this guy and, you know, kind of gave a combination of the two. So, um, fast forward and to June 4th, 
<laughs> and, um, I'm, you know, like everything that had been going on in the world and with, uh, you know, like all the protests and stuff like that, I was just drained. I was so sad and just feeling really traumatized. And there was a lot going on. So Instagram was not my creative escape. And I felt like I really had nowhere else to go COVID, you know? So like I, what did I do? I got on Bumble and something I'd sworn off, mind you, that I had been telling myself since I had to move back to Kansas city, I had like my whole remote year got canceled and I had to surrender into the space of like, okay, this is what we're doing now. I'm going to end up in Kansas city single and alone. And so Karen, my guide, those of you who listen to the show know who that is. Um, she said to me, uh, she goes, you know, in the areas in which you thought it was the most possible, it was impossible and nothing stuck, but perhaps in the areas in which you find it impossible, the most possibilities lie. And like, give the universe to show you what's beyond your own sight. And I remember thinking like, that's hella rude, Karen. Okay. <laughs> um, but that, that it was so profound. Like I wasn't thinking in that level of wisdom at that moment because everything yeah. feels felt so hard. Yeah. And so I said, okay, 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 cool. I'm just going to, that's it. I'm going to be single. And, and it might've been the first time that I really just like leaned into that. I've been single three years since post my divorce mm -hmm. and I really leaned into it and I said, okay, what does that look like? So May 18th, I was in, in my apartment. I love my new apartment, my new space that I got. And I lit a bunch of candles and there was a song that I found that was just beautiful. That spoke to me. And I said, if I ever got married, I would play this at my wedding. And I just, I, for an hour, I just danced with him. And it was so much like how you said, like that feeling of like, what did it feel like to be? Cause mm -hmm. I felt like he was close. And mm -hmm. I think on other previous episodes, I've mentioned that I've, I've heard him like, feel like he's close by me next to me or something. And I'm like, I know he's close. So I don't know what that means. But in my mind, I thought, well, because this travel year got canceled, I'm not going to meet him this year. Mm. So here I am dancing in my living room with the spirit of a person or whatever. <laughs> what song? What song? Um, it's, it's Alley-Oop by Dijon. It is the, the most... I don't know. Such a beautiful song. You like, I'll forward it to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in, in that, like I had been swiping or whatever a couple days before. And what I ended up messaging him was, um, how's your heart King? That's what I said. Mm -hmm. And in that, like once I swiped on him, by the way, mind you, and this is going to sound bad, but like, because of everything that was going on in the world, I swiped left on anyone who wasn't black. Mm -hmm. And not, not as a means of like being racist or anything like yeah. that, but I felt it was difficult to have to explain or feel like, yep. especially in my city where people are, it's Midwest and yeah. a little less diverse and stuff like that. It just, it was too much trauma happening in my heart to feel like I wanted, I needed to talk about that. I didn't want to yeah. talk about that. And with someone who was black, I wouldn't have to it would like, yeah. no. So, yeah. um, so anyway, so I just swiped and there's not a lot of black people here. So, uh, I just swiped left on everybody and thought like, I'll just, I'll just talk. With other black men and see like what's going on with y'all like right now like right. how are y'all feeling like what's going on in your hearts like right. how, how are you dealing with this and the trauma or whatever just trying to start conversation so that's what I started and he was so taken by that he's like I want to meet you like right away so there was no dilly dally mm -hmm. so we're like we'll do it like a kind of a social distancing outdoor coffee thing or whatever and when I and it's funny because on his profile he even said something casual and I was like okay but you know whatever I'll just talk to him it's fine so yeah. when I, when I got there and I saw him, I, like, I knew it, I yep. knew it. I saw him and I was like, that's the guy from the dream. Yep. Oh, that's the guy from the dream. <laughs> oh my God. You know, like internally I'm trying to keep calm. Cause I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Like let's not get excited yet. Cause 
Aaliyah, you don't have a good track record. So, uh, and so we're sitting there talking. We talked for four hours and we talked about everything. Mm. We talked about spiritual and, and political and, you know, mm. goals and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And he has some stuff, transitions going on in his life right now that are a little bit complicated, but like, I just, I, it was like, I just knew I recognized him. Yeah. So then that night we had a four hour conversation and then the next day we had a six hour date and it was just like, I mean, the next day we were literally cuddled up at the park. Like we were a couple, like it didn't feel like, like it's exactly how you described it. Like it was at home. Like I was at home. Yeah. Like yeah. There was no like, Ooh, maybe <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. I didn't feel any of that. And it's funny because after we had that, our first date, I looked on Bumble and saw that he had deleted the connection on there. And some people do that when they meet somebody, but I was immediately went into that abandonment mode. Like, Oh, oh yeah. no. Like after we had such a good time, he's not gonna, yeah. maybe he's not gonna yeah. call me. Maybe he's not this or that. Not only did he call me, we kept me on the phone forever. So <laughs> it was just, it was automatic. There was no discussion. Like, are we together? Are we not? Or whatever it was, it just was. Yes. And then it was hard to remember a time before I met him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, and, and I know some of you guys are jumping for joy. Thank you so much for being excited. <laughs> I'm jumping for joy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And it's so early. So like, it feels almost like, oh, shush, you shouldn't, you know, tell people, you know, about your joy yet because it could fall and be careful. But mm-hmm. I didn't feel like that. Every other person I've met before him had always had that kind of maybe oh, yeah. the panic attack type yep. of feeling and to yep. leave uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even then. Like, I remember there was a guy last year who I was like, wow, he seems he checks all the boxes or whatever. My stomach wouldn't cut it out. Like it was flip flopping all over the place. And I was like, is this anxiety? And this guy is somebody who slept with me and then ghosted right after. Yeah. Like I was like, I knew my body knew. And like the whole thing with body was so important that you said that because when I, when I met this person, there was, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. It was like, we had been best friends. We could kick it. We could joke. We could be nerdy, we could be funny, we could be sexy, like all those, those emotions were, it was just automatic. And I was like, wow, like, this is what this is supposed to feel like. Like I, like you said, you didn't have any doubt. Like, I don't feel any doubt. I feel like what could be issues for us or like things that we don't hurdles that we'll have to go through together. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel there's, there's nothing in my soul. Even at the beginning when my friends were like, I'm so excited. And I'm like, I'm not excited. Yeah. there's, there's not like, not to, not that I wasn't happy. Like I just didn't feel excited. I felt peaceful. Yeah, exactly. That's the distinction. Peaceful. I was like, this is, I feel so relaxed. Like I don't have to question how he feels about me. He affirms me. He's spiritually woke. Like we, we had a two hour discussion about Jewish mysticism. Like eventually at some point I'll have him on the show because he's incredibly intelligent, which really turns me on. (laughs) And like, he's just, I, like, and I, from the first weekend, I said, I feel like he's designed for me. It almost seems too good to be true. He was saying something to me yesterday that I was looking at him and I'm like, what planet are you from? Really? Mm-hmm. Like, cause it just doesn't seem real that, that someone could be that, you know, especially in all the men that I've dated, someone who could be so aware of their feelings yeah. and have done so much inner work where, yeah. you know, we sat, we're both cancers. His birthday is the day after mine. And we sat on the the porch and journaled together. Like, what the fuck? Like my, my friend who's an Aries, she's like, ugh, ugh. that's like the most cancery thing I've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> oh. Common. And we just, we just are like, it was, it was almost automatic. Like I wouldn't say he, he didn't move in or anything like that, but like yeah. it was just, I, yeah. I don't have words. Like it feels, it's easy. 
It's mm. absolutely easy. So like, I only say that guys, cause like you have listened to me on this podcast and my, my laments and things that I've been through or whatever. And some of you guys have read my book and know that like, I've been through the shits. So to come to a place where I have met someone in the place where I thought it was impossible, by the way. Yes. Yes. That like, I also met someone who like, I've always had body issues and always thought someone wouldn't love me because of my size or something like that. Like this ninja here is like, he, um, do you know, like, okay, so I have KP, which is like keratosis pilaris, the prickly skin or chicken skin or whatever. So my elbows are really bumpy and I've always been super conscious of them and never let anybody touch my arms. And so there was one day he was running his hand down my arm and across my elbow and I was like, stop it. And he's like, let me love all of you. Oh, <laughs> oh my like, God. No, don't, don't. He's like, I want to touch your weenus. Let me touch your weenus. <laughs> and then he just like, and it made me so uncomfortable because I was just like, oh, like you're touching this area. Like, you know, and even with my body, like my rolls and curves and things, and he just loves on me mm. unequivocally. Like it is, I didn't think that that was possible. Yeah. I really didn't. Yeah. Because, yeah. Ooh, sorry. Yeah. Um, no sorry. I was no sorry. So sure. I was so yeah. sure that no one could love this because I couldn't love it myself. Yeah. So even I, I, I say this and he didn't like when I say this, but I was like, even if this does end, like what this did for me and what it's given me and how I'm able to feel about myself was such a huge gift. Like it leveled me up. Your love yeah. leveled me up. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. First of all, you deserve this. You deserve every, every ounce of it. And I'm so, so happy for you. I'm so happy that you feel the peace. Yeah. I always, whenever a friend or a client or someone comes to me and they've met someone and they're peaceful and they have those tears of joy and they're like blown away by how much they feel loved and safe versus like, he took me to this great place or he's this and that. It always just moves me so deeply. So thank you for sharing this yeah letting me be here when you share it and having the courage to share it you know if it makes you feel any better i aired a podcast with steph like three weeks after we met in europe so (laughs) i was out there really really soon with it too yeah and that part you said about you know let me love all of you that's one of the biggest blessings from sacred union is that it 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 touches the place inside that we can't get to on our own. Mm -hmm. I was doing some somatic healing with a couple, another conscious couple. um, And they were doing body work and healing work. And we were working a lot with my sexuality, my freedom in my body, and just the pain I had from, you know, just men over the years and so on and so forth. And, you know, because we carry that in our womb as women. Yeah. And um, the the gentleman said to me in my last session, he whispered in my ear, he said, Christine, we've taken you as far as we can take you. Love will do the rest. And I was like, all right. And of course the like personal growth overachiever in me felt like I <laughs> didn't do enough. I remember about a week or two after Steph and I were together physically, we were making love and it, he said something or did something and something in me broke open. I just started sobbing and shaking. And it was like the release of the shame, the pain, the body image stuff, like all the stuff that so many of us carry, especially women, Mm -hmm. just release. And he just held me and said, let it out. I'm here. There was no fixing. There was no judging. There was no shaming. And I'd try to hold it in and he'd say, keep going. 
Mm-hmm. And that's very similar to what you said here. He, he didn't say, let me love all of you. However, it was that communicated. And what's so beautiful is then we get to do that for them too. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like we get to love the whole person, which is what we all need. And I think sometimes there's this expectation, especially in consciousness that, you know, we're supposed to love ourselves completely and like not need anyone and be able yeah. to like heal everything. And, you know, our spiritual practice should get us there. And like, it should just be about God or universe or whatever. And I'm like, well, I, I look around, I'm not the only person on the planet. So there must be a reason all these other humans are here other than to trigger me, right? Like there must be <laughs> a reason. So like, there's, there's only, you know, it's, it's like through friendship, through sisterhood, through relationship, through the soul family that we get to choose, you know, our biological family for the most part are there to teach us some lessons, clear some karma. But then as we grow, we get to have these beautiful soul relationships. And I'm just like, my heart's just bursting because it just, it demonstrates, Aaliyah, the work that you've done, that you got to a place inside where you knew you were worthy of love. Yeah. Like, yeah, you still had your places that you criticized yourself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have little pieces of that, but you cleared out enough. Like you healed enough. You opened enough space where you could let love in mm-hmm. because yes, it's amazing that he said that, but I also want to acknowledge you, like yeah. you had to be space inside yourself where you could create that being said to you and actually receive it. Yeah. Because the, the big, the, the big part here is that when, when he told me he loved me, it was, it had been a week, maybe a week and a half. And I was like, hold on, what, wait a minute, like slow down brother. Like what are you talking about? Um, and he told me, he told me all the reasons why. And then I, the first thing I said, and I kind of regret that that's what my response was, but I was like, how do you know? And he was like, well, and he told me all these reasons and he was like, you know, it doesn't take all day to recognize sunshine, babe. And I then responded and I was like, I just, I don't know. Like I'm, and then I started going with all my wounding and like, this has happened to me and this has happened to me and nobody's ever said that to me before. So I don't feel, I'm scared. Like it might take me a long time to blah, blah, blah. And, and he just was accepting. He was just like, okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And he said, and this was the thing he said, um, he said, I'm sorry that someone as deserving as you, no one's ever told you that before. Everybody else is just a bunch of dum-dums. And then he kissed my forehead and I was lost my shit. Stopping like a child, crying so hard. And I had just given this whole speech where I couldn't say I love you back. I had to go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. cry it out, come back. And then I told him, I love you too. And he was, his whole face just lit up. And I was like, I, you saw that little part of my heart that I was holding away that I felt like nobody would ever love. And you saw it and that, what that did for my own, even my vibration, what it did, it just, it opened, it really opened up so much. And it was, it was such a heaviness that was lifted that I felt that was lifted. And like, for those of you guys who are single, who are listening to like, I was the single of the singles, (laughs) um, previous, like even before my first marriage, like I was always the friend that was single. I was a wedding photographer who was single, like talk about torture, um, like (laughs) in that situation and then being in a relationship where I didn't feel seen and settling essentially like both of us settling, like, because we, you know, whatever, who knows why, like there was a contract for why we need to be together. But, um, after that, giving, getting to that place and, and allowing yourself to know that you are worthy of love. And the biggest thing that I confronted over the last 12 months is that, that lie, 
that I wasn't lovable and figuring out where that wound came from and doing that inner child work. And I'm still not fully healed. Like I'm still not in a place where like, we're, you're never fully healed. Like you're not done until you're dead. And even then you're, you have stuff to do when you come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was just such a, for, for someone like myself who felt like it might've never happened. Like I was shocked and at the same time, so peaceful about what it is I had been calling in and how I felt like it was close and how I was actually listening to my intuition, not my fear, not yes. my scarcity, That's not right. my wounding. Like I actually was listening to my intuition. I surrendered and I did exactly what you did. I went on Pinterest and deleted my wedding board. <laughs> I had had there for like four years. I don't know. Yep. It started the board actually before me and my ex broke up because like we knew, like we knew it was coming and I was like, okay, well someday this is something we'll look forward to. And I ripped up my list. Yep. It's powerful. I ripped it up and I said, all right, universe, you drive. You got yep. it. Here's the GPS. This is kind of yep. where I want to go, but like ultimately you drive, you figure it yep. out. I'm done trying. Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. It's big. And for people that are in relationship that are questioning it, um, like listen to the questions, but also be aware of where the questions are coming from. So uh, so many, you know, I love what Esther Perel says. She's one of my mentors and just my favorite her. people. I love her too. Um, she says, I've been married to the same man. We've just been married three times. You know, she's had three different marriages over the course of their marriage and relationships can be reinvented. And oftentimes when one person changes, one of two things will happen. Either they will change, not coaching the other person along the way. They will change. They will grow. It, it starts breaking up patterns starts breaking up the patterns. And so that will either inspire the other person to start to shift or the relationship might meet an expiration date where it's like, all right, we've gone as far as we can go together because I'm going this way and you're either staying here or going another direction. And one thing that I had to navigate with getting divorced and I get it, I was younger, I didn't have kids. <clears throat> so it's easier in many ways. But that, that question of, well, one uncertainty, to, you know, it's not that bad. Can I make it better? Mm. And three, am I expecting too much? But really listening to that, like I knew, I knew a year before we got divorced, he was walking across the bedroom and a voice inside said, you're not gonna be married to him much longer. And I don't hear voices inside very often. So it was profound. And it's, it's being willing to listen to that because sometimes like staying together just for the sake of staying together because you have kids or because you're scared or because you own property together or whatever. Like if it's sucking the soul out of you, if it's sucking the life out of you, just know that, you know, commitment for the sake of commitment isn't all that's cracked up to be. I'm not saying don't try. I, I gave my marriage everything I wanted to know that I went all in and I tried as hard as I could with what I knew at the time so that when I did walk away, I'm like, all right, at least I tried. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we don't, have to stay in her. The success of a relationship is not based on its length. Mm. It's based on, you know, did I love and how much did I learn? Yeah. That, I think we'll close that with that right there. That was so powerful. I was getting ready to ask you like, what, what's a, what's your lasting moment or what you want to say? That was it. Like mm. was beautifully stated. Um, Christine, thank you so much for being so like you're such a light. I had so many people come to me from your show that were like, oh, God, we love Christine. And actually the <laughs> reason that we crossed paths was because one of your listeners listened to my podcast. Yes. Like, yo, you would love this girl. And thank you to that girl. Shout out to her. Cause I know she's yeah. going to listen to this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm just super thankful for your friendship and for what you do. Like super excited. Ah, me too. You were one of those people. Like I just knew I heard your voice. I like took you and I'm like, Oh, she's going to be my friend. I love her. (laughs) I'm going to come to Austin and give you a hug myself. Um, this one ran long because like we had so much to talk about, but I hope you guys got so much out of this. Like it's a wealth of information and obviously I'm excited to debut my love story. Um, but if you guys like this episode, please share it with someone that you love. And definitely, um, before we go, can you tell people where to find you? Yeah. Head over and listen to my podcast over at non with it. You get to listen to me do unscripted, unedited, unproduced coaching sessions every Wednesday. And then Saturday I have people like you on the show to riff about things. And then Instagram is my favorite social media platform. And then if you go to Christine Hassler, you can sign up and get a coaching assessment from me. Take yourself through a little coaching process. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and guys, thank you for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode and we will see you in the next one. Later. Interested in becoming a client for energy coaching? Find me at www.thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do or hit me up on IG at the lovely Leah for daily content and inspiration.